millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name's Gavi. I'm here with Sadie, cult expert, cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter. This is the Leaving Eden podcast. How are you doing today? How's life? I am doing great. I wanted to say happy spooky Halloween season. Yes. Happy spooky Halloween. Do you have a costume? What are you going as this year? I actually do not have a costume this year, but Chuck is insisting that she is going to be a dinosaur so we have procured a dinosaur costume for chuck oh that's cute she is super cute she yeah. uh, i can just imagine her in a dinosaur costume that sounds awesome so uh yeah it, it's an exciting time of year and uh gosh this episode comes out what the day before halloween yes october uh 30th i want because today we're recording it on the 16th which is my sister's birthday. It's also my friend uh, Nick's birthday. So, happy birthday to your sister and to Nick. Yes, happy birthday to both of you guys. Um, it's it, but this is coming out on the thirtieth, and uh, uh, right the thirtieth is a Monday. Yeah, thirty the thirty first is a two. Yeah, so this is two mm-hmm. weeks from today is the thirtieth. Yeah, so this is October thirtieth, day day before Halloween. But this should be a fun episode, even for not Halloween purposes. I am so excited about this episode. This is one of the original 100 topics that was on our list when we started this podcast. Look at us getting through uh, our to-do list three years too late, but at least we're doing it. It's, well, it's- one of us has ADHD and the other one is highly suspicious that they also have ADHD. So Yours is undiagnosed, but it would be... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, mine is, I am not diagnosed, but there is some real good evidence. I mean, diagnosed off of TikTok and and actually diagnosed are basically the same thing. So yes, because self diagnosis is valid because self diagnosis is usually a step in the process of getting a medical diagnosis. I don't know all of the details about that. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but if Sadie says it's true, it's probably true because she does her research. Today, we're talking about the microphone to hell. Uh, the microphone to hell is a myth that, essentially, it's a myth that the Soviet Union, it, it's it's circulated in like the late 80s, early 90s. It, it came out in 1989, but it's a myth that the Soviet Union, in like a scientific experiment, managed to drill a hole so deep into the earth that it broke through into hell and mm -hmm. then they lowered a microphone in and recorded the sounds of people screaming in hell yeah we've been able to track down this original claim and some additional information about where this claim came from it's all incredibly interesting and i think it's going to be really healing for people who were traumatized by hearing this claim in church growing up. I just love a good debunking episode. I really do. I wish we could do only debunking episodes, but we would come out with like an episode a month. It's true. Um, although this one, I, this one actually was not the hardest because the information, the thing is when they make really specific claims about things, it then becomes very easy to debunk them. Because they always add details. Like if you're telling a claim in a sermon or you're telling it in the story, you're going to add coloration to it and then that's going to make the details very specific and then if you add those specific details and that makes it really easy to check claims and then debunk it so we're going to do a sort of paul sand style investigation on it and then give you what our thoughts are on this and i'm really excited i hope you are too sadie oh i absolutely am but before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought freedom of religion so if you like our show if you are a fan of our show there are some things that you can do to support us you can join our patreon where there is an extended and uncensored and ad-free version of this episode that you're listening to right now as well as extended at uncensored and ad-free versions of other episodes of our show most of the other episodes of our show um, you can join our subreddit and our facebook group both of those are called eden exodus you can like subscribe leave a positive review. You can share our show with your friends and your family and your enemies and your coworkers and your casual acquaintances and anybody that you see on the street. You could door knock for us if you want to. Please don't door knock for us if you don't want to, <laughs> if you have trauma related to that. Don't do it, but you could if you wanted maybe, to. Maybe don't do that at all because <laughs> that <laughs> maybe I'm just tell your friends and family and post on social media and leave us a positive review. <laughs> Leaving Eden Street Team 2023. Let's go. No. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. We do not. Don't don't knock on doors for our podcast. Please don't do it. That would be a step in the direction of us actually becoming a cult that I am just not comfortable with. But for those, <laughs> I of tried you, so hard not to be a cult leader. I mean, sometimes it just like 
happens. Like, I don't think Taylor Swift wanted to be a cult leader, but you know, she just couldn't stop making hot tracks and she couldn't stop making like going on tour in front of everybody. And then she had to put it in movie theaters. And now like she's got a whole cult of Swifties and there's nothing that she can do about it. She could tell the Swifties, I don't like you anymore. And they'd still like her. So just like put yourself in the same category as Taylor Swift and you'll be fine. I am trying really hard not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving Eden podcast, Sadie's version. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Leaving Eden podcast, not a cult. <laughs> not a cult. Um, that's what, that's our next t-shirt. No, Gabby, that's our next t-shirt. It says Leaving Eden podcast. And then like the subtitle says, not a cult. And then like a little TM after not a cult or like scare quotes around not a cult. We promise. But for those of you who give us money, uh, thank you guys so much. I want to say that <laughs> it's <a> great transition. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, the people, uh, the, the, I gave it all to your patrons. Uh, the people who would take off their wristwatches and wedding rings and throw them in the collection tray for us. There's three. <laughs> Your names are Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, and Todd Dale on behalf of his lovely deconstructorina of a wife, Madeline Antrim. Thank you guys so much for joining the I Gave It All tier of our Patreon. <laughs> we don't want your watches or wedding rings. We do not, but we appreciate your financial support so very much. Uh, our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex P., Ali Allen, I'm Israel Chai. Anisha Patel, Autumn of Our Discontent, Brittany, Brooke Tolly, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dora J, Eleanor Donna Hugh, Enchanted Fairy, Hannah Ross, Hannah Montana. Oh, that's that's cool. We got Miley. Um Hope Norum. Not a cult. Not a cult. Uh Horton Here's a Shane. Janine Collin. Jen Kaharski. Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Henwood, Kay Turwee, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen, Linda Morgan, yeah, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Maggie Fink, Marlene Estuve, Marsha Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Sadie's actual BFF trademark. Oh, this is a new one. Chartuterie. Chartuterie. Oh, that's fun. I love chartuterie. That's like the, mm -hmm. the like the cheese board, right? Except with like I, I think it's I think it's a pun. Oh. On the cheese board. Oh, I th it's like a cheese board, but like with trumpets. That's why they go toot toot. Um, or like a car horn. And there's Stephanie Johnson, Steve, and Amy. Susie, Tara, Mac, Namera, and as always, the one and only, the rootinest tootinest, Wes, the cowboy. Thank you guys so much for being Patreon uh, members, Faith Promise Missions. I gave it all Patreon members and everybody who contributes to our Patreon. You guys make this show possible. We truly would not be able to make the content that we make without the support of our amazing patrons. We love you guys so much. Yes, thank you so much to our patrons over on Patreon at all levels and to everybody who supports our show in non-financial ways as well. We are truly so thankful to our audience because it's 
all of you who have given us the platform that we have. And also, like, even if you just listen to the show, you're helping our show because we get ad revenue from people listening to advertisements. So that's cool, too. Um, well, and um, Spotify or Apple can recommend our show to other people who like the same shows you do. Ev everything counts, even just downloading and listening to episodes. That's absolutely true. We absolutely we love you guys um, and our audience. We do feel very connected to this community. Sadie, uh, do you want to give us a TW? In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide, mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical and sexual abuse and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story we're telling on that day. And we do our best to give the audience a heads up if we're going to go into detail on any of those topics I just mentioned or anything else that we know can be triggering to listeners. This episode is all about hell. And specifically, the urban legend about a microphone allegedly lowered into hell by scientists and the accompanying totally fake recording of screams from hell. We are going to play the recording of these screams. We will give you a heads up before we do so. But the context of the entire episode is going to be talking about the IFB view of hell. Thank you for that. In a couple of weeks. Uh, so, so this week's episode, we're talking about the microphone to hell. Next week, mm -hmm. we are doing a, a, like the start of a two-part series where we're going to do a, an episode about heaven, and then we're going to do an episode about hell two weeks from now. So next week is going to be about heaven. Week after that is going to be out, about hell. So a lot of the details specifically about hell and like what is in the Bible, what isn't in the Bible, and a lot of it isn't in the Bible, and what the beliefs are surrounding hell, that's going to be stuff that we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks. So we might glaze over some of that stuff or, or gloss over some of that stuff this week. Mm -hmm. um, but can we get a spark notes rundown of the idea that is prevalent in fundamentalism that hell is a real physical place that exists in this dimension slash plane of existence in the physical center of the earth. Yes. When we come back in two weeks, we're going to talk about the IFB view of hell and also, like you said, what is in scripture, what isn't in scripture. Y'all may remember when we spoke about clobber verses that are used to condemn LGBTQ plus people. My interpretation of a lot of those, those clobber verses and many other progressive Christians' interpretations are that the majority of those verses or even all of those verses do not refer to consensual sex between two adult people of the same gender. They refer to something else. The verses that are about hell are very, very similar in that there is often an alternate interpretation that they are referring to something other than the Protestant Christian view of hell, which is a place of fire and brimstone that people's souls go to be tortured for eternity. We will get into that, but what you have to know today is that the IFB and some other fundamentalists believe that both heaven and hell, but especially hell, are real places within our current physical realm of reality. Places with matter, like in the physics sense, places that are made out of atoms and elements, places that 
you cannot go in your physical body because of the limitations of hell is too hot and you would physically die and heaven is too far away and there's no spaceship that could get you there, but real, like places that you could hypothetically visit even though God has made it impossible for you to do so. Sometimes you may hear IFB teaching that's more along the lines of heaven is real, but it's not within our physical reality. Like they may also say sometimes heaven is in the spirit realm where God lives and that's how God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere because God's presence in the spirit realm is pervasive and the spirit realm is overlaid with our current temporal physical reality. Other IFB, other fundamentalists would say, well, there's no such thing as alternate dimensions or a spirit realm that's neo-paganism, everything that exists is in one realm, one reality. That's the one that we currently live in. So fundies that do not believe in the spirit realm theory of heaven would sometimes believe that heaven is a bubble outside of our galaxy, outside of observable space even, but within our current space-time matter reality. Some would also theorize that heaven is located on a distant star. And I feel like I've just written a Star Trek episode. (laughs) So imagine the head trip when I was like 16 and I was really trying to get string theory and the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics with no science background. And I'm trying to like figure out, okay, but where is heaven? Okay. Yes. But where? <laughs> it's, it's like Star Trek. It's also kind of like very his dark materials. You ever read those books? You got me those books. I have not read those books yet. Sadie. Because I, 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 know, I know you don't have time. But. You got me those books when I was like, <laughs> extremely pregnant it, it's true and i do not fault you once for not reading um for fun in the same way that you used to be able to uh, i want to i'm i'm telling you right now you will read those books and you will fall in love with with the universe in them i love those books i've and i didn't have the upbringing that you did i think that with your upbringing you will find them really powerful and really enjoyable but it is it, it, it kind of reminds me of that So whatever their views on heaven, the IFB is always going to say that hell is a real place in our current physical dimension. Now, this is weird. The idea that hell is a real place in our current physical dimension is actually on more solid ground scripturally than a lot of the other IFB teachings about hell. So many of the other IFB teachings about hell depend on one verse or one phrase in one verse that you have to interpret a specific way for it to uphold their beliefs about hell. The idea that hell is a, is a physical place that is under our feet is supported by a lot of scripture verses. Um, a lot of verses in scripture, now I, my argument would be those verses are not talking about hell. They are talking about something else. But that's neither here nor there. The verses in scripture that the IFB believe refer to hell do seem to point to a physical place not far from here and probably something below us. The most popular theory held by this type of fundamentalist is that hell is a place in the center of the earth, although I've also heard it theorized that hell could be inside a star or inside a black hole. But the theories that they have about hell are that it is materially real in our current space and time and hypothetically a observable were it not for god preventing alive humans from observing it this also reminds me of the ifb teaching about the firmament and how people lived a long time because there was a layer of water above the the, like above the atmosphere that was protecting people from the harmful rays of the sun so people lived forever and then 
the flood brought the water down. This kind of feels sort of the same as that. Like it's yeah, almost but pop this, physics. Yeah. But religious pop physics. This theory, believe it or not, is less wild to me because of how many places scripture speaks about hell or a related concept in references that imply something below us. Like scripture will say something like digging into hell or went down into hell. And we are going to talk about alternate interpretations for that, but the direction downwards, like physically down into the center of the earth, has been associated with hell for a very long time. This is something that surprised me because I was I was looking into this. I went into it with the assumption that the whole hell is inside the center of the earth theory was something new. My assumption was, okay, as science learned more about the makeup of the planet, people found out, oh, the planet is round and there's a core and then there's stuff underneath the core in the inside of the planet. And then it's hot down there. Oh, I wonder if hell is down there. That's not correct. Hmm. The theory that hell came, was in the middle of the earth came about before all of those scientific discoveries. Blew my mind. So the official Catholic line now on hell is, well, we don't know for sure, but the official opinion of the Catholic Church is that hell is not a physical place, but it is a state of being. That view that hell is like a state of being separated from God, a state of being in constant mourning for one's sins. Something like that, that general view is shared officially by the Episcopal Church as well as the Eastern Orthodox Church. So that's a lot of Christians. Um, those three denominations together, that's a lot of Christians. And a lot of assorted Protestants either believe that opinion officially or unofficially endorse it. I wasn't able to find a straight answer on whether the Methodist Church believes this theory that hell is not a real place, but it is a state of being, either like being separated from God or being in mourning for your sins. But I found a slew of Methodist pastors who had written articles supporting this theory. So I would call that an unofficial endorsement by the Methodist church. Is this a thing that varies church to church depending on what your pastor believes? Well, not in Methodism, because in Methodism, you don't have to believe what your pastor believes about everything. That's a fundamentalist thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's something that would vary from Methodist person to Methodist person. But the belief in a non-literal hell, that hell is a state of being, is something we'll get into more uh, in our episode a couple weeks from now. But I found that some of the biggest and best known Christian thinkers, such as St. Augustine and C.S. Lewis, had the same theory. That theory being, I don't know for sure hell could be a real physical place, but my opinion is that it is a state of mind or a relational state in relation to God. This was the point of the movie that we watched a year ago that was called The Burning Hell, mm -hmm. where it was Estes Perkle and the two bikers that were like Jesus movement bikers. And they went into talk to him and said, we think that hell isn't real. And he said, hell is real and it's a real place on earth of conscious torture. And that's true because it's in the Bible. But that was like the whole point of the movie was right. 
this was a hot button issue at one point. Because word for word biblical literalism requires a literal hell. Because when you take the words in the Bible, the way that they were translated, especially in the King James at face value, it describes a real hypothetically observable place. Sidebar, this does by necessity mean that the soul is a physical part of the body that is real but not visible, that could hypothetically be observed by the right scientific means, which is where we get the tangentially related experiment where a doctor put dying people on scales and observed them to lose about 21 grams of weight at the moment of their death, which he attributed to their souls leaving their body rather than, I don't know, moisture evaporation or any other normal explanation for a person suddenly losing 21 grams of weight at the moment of their death. So that's, I think, another Irving legend or something that we could possibly look into, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, this was actually, this was a real experiment. I thought it was an urban legend and I looked it up for this episode and it was a real thing that this guy did. Um, his methods are kind of trash, though. Well, you know what they say about data science is that if you put garbage in, then you get garbage out, so... Uh, so the theory, that experiment bugs me, if you can't tell. So the theory about hell being in the center of our planet Earth was around for quite a while. And when the Earth's core was discovered in 1906, people started thinking, oh, this confirms the theory. We've had this theory for a really long time. Now science has caught up to what we've believed all along. I do find it interesting because whenever we see hell depicted in media, in cartoons, in movies, in, in TV, whatever, it's almost always a physical place that's underground. And maybe that's because it's easier for it to, to make that work in like a cartoonish media form or something like if, if a character if like a cartoon character gets killed in the comic or something and then goes down to hell and then they can literally bust up through the roof. I'm thinking of the Simpsons episode where Bart gets hit by Mr. Burns um, limo and goes down to hell and the devil looks like Ned Flanders, but then he gets to come back up. Yes. Yes. I mean, also a lot of my, uh, what is the cultural zeitgeist about this thing just comes from what I saw on the Simpsons. Maybe that's a good barometer. Maybe that's a bad barometer, but it's a little bit of a small sample size. Maybe, I don't know, but I've wondered whether or not that was because of the influence of evangelical culture on society or whether it was just, that's an easy way to portray it. And that's just kind of in the cultural zeitgeist, but I've always thought that was interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't even say the influence of evangelical culture. I would say the influence of Christianity, because the idea of hell being underground is really old. And the idea of hell not being in the center of our planet has kind of been the strongest alternative to that idea for literal centuries. So this debate, which is maybe more lighthearted than a lot of Christian debates, believe it or not, between is hell a real place or not? And if it is a real place, is it in the center of our planet is centuries old, but it took Christians all the way until 1989 to create the hoax that we are going to be talking about today. Let's go. All right. Give us the good, Sadie. Okay, here we go. In 1989, a letter was read on TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, a massive Christian television network. 
I really tried to find the original clip of this letter being read. Unfortunately, I just could not find it. There are a lot of clips from TBN in 1989 online, but I didn't have hours to sift through the footage. And I also didn't know which show on TBN this letter was read on. But I did find an article that claims to have the text of the original claim. So I'm going to read that letter. This is for my research as close as I can get to reading you the original letter that was read on TBN. These details are from the translation of an art. So this is the beginning of the letter. These details are from the translation of an article in a Finnish newspaper called Aminasatia. A genealogical group who drilled a hole about 14.4 kilometers deep in the crust of the earth are saying that they heard human screams. Screams have been heard from the condemned souls from Earth's deepest hole. Terrified scientists are afraid they have let loose the evil powers of hell up to the Earth's surface. Quote, The information we are gathering is so surprising that we are sincerely afraid of what we might find down there, stated Dr. Azakov, the manager of the project in remote Siberia. Breaking into the original claim, when the hole was 9 miles deep, 14.4 kilometers deep, the drill bit started spinning wildly, as if it had punched through solid ground into some kind of a cavity. There is only one explanation, said Dr. Azakov. The deep center of the Earth is hollow. The second surprise was the high temperature that they discovered in the Earth's center. The calculations indicate the given temperature was about 1,100 degrees Celsius or over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, Azakov pointed out. This is far more than we expected. It seems almost like an inferno of fire is brutally going on in the center of the Earth. The last discovery was nevertheless the most shocking to our ears, so much that scientists are afraid to continue the project. We tried to listen to the Earth's movements at certain intervals with super-sensitive microphones which were let down through the hole. What we heard turned those logically-thinking scientists into a trembling ruin. It was sometimes a weak but high-pitched sound which we thought to be coming from our own equipment, explained Dr. Azakov. But after some adjustments, we comprehended that indeed the sound came from the Earth's interior. We could hardly believe our own ears. We heard a human voice screaming in pain. Even though one voice was discernible, we could hear thousands, perhaps millions, in the background of suffering souls screaming. After this ghastly discovery, about half the scientists quit because of fear. Hopefully, that which is down there will stay there, Dr. Azakov added. The Fundies really do love a story about scientists learning a, that the Christians have had it right all along and then questioning everything that they knew. Mm-hmm. They, it, they love, 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 love that kind of story. They love the shade in Freud. So I had to piece together that original claim from two different sources online. The original claim is that a hole was drilled miles deep, but the drill punched through to a hollow pocket when scientists expected the earth to still be solid that many miles down. When they brought the drill bit up, it was red hot. The team drilling this hole in Siberia was lowering microphones below the earth's surface because they wanted to record the sounds of the shifting of tectonic plates So they rigged up one of their microphones. It was designed to be heat resistant anyway, because they knew that the further they got down, the hotter it would be. So they lowered the microphone down into the 14 kilometer deep hole. 
sensors were sent down with the microphone, measured the temperature. Some people will say over a thousand degrees Celsius. Other sources will say 1100 degrees Celsius over 1800, 1900 degrees Fahrenheit, roughly. The microphone melted completely in less than a minute. But before that happened, the microphone was able to transmit a short recording of screams and general chaos. The scientists and the drilling team on site were shaken. Many of them believed that they had accidentally drilled into a literal hell and half the team quit immediately out of fear. So that's our claim. TBN received this claim as a letter um, and the letter claimed that it had been published in a Finnish, a respected Finnish scientific journal, Aminasacha. This is how the urban legend gained widespread plausibility and popularity overnight because TBN got a hold of this letter and they said, look, it's proof. Hell is real and it is in the center of the earth. The original claim has now spawned a host of spinoff urban legends, but TBN just received this claim and then published it. They did not originate this claim. Rich Bueller, writing for Christianity Today magazine in 1990, researched exactly how this letter got into the hands of the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Texas Pentecostal televangelist R.W. Schambach got a hold of a translation of an article from a Finnish publication called Aminasacha, which he believed, Schambach believed, was a respected Finnish scientific journal. So when Rich Bueller started researching this, he found out that Aminasacha is not a scientific journal. It is actually a small Finnish evangelical Lutheran magazine. So Bueller called up the Aminasacha offices and said, hey, where did you get this story about scientists discovering hell? And they told him that a staff member from Aminasacha wrote it from memory after reading a story in the publication, Atelis Woman Sanamot. I'm sorry, my pronunciation is probably unrecognizable. I will post sources for everybody. But Atelis Woman Sanamot is a Finnish daily newspaper that has a letters to the editor type section where readers could contribute whatever they'd like to write. So the person who's, so he called that newspaper, Rich Bueller called that newspaper. And he found out that the person who sent it into Atella Swoman Sanamat had read it in a Finnish newsletter called Veltajot, Veltahot, maybe, which some people report was a paranormal newsletter, like a paranormal zine kind of in Finland. Uh, other people report that it was a Finnish missionary newsletter. I was not able to track down which is which on that. But the person who sent it in to Veltahat claimed to have seen it in a Messianic Jewish California newsletter called Jewels of Jericho. Beeler was not able to confirm whether the newsletter Jewels of Jericho ever existed at all. So that's where the trail goes cold. But that is how this got into the hands of the Trinity Broadcasting Network. So it was translated back and forth from, from English to Finnish and then back to English at least once. Correct. And it originated from Messianic. Man, that's wild. I mean, mm -hmm. leave it to the Messianics to come up with just the most <laughs> wildest thing that you've ever heard. Probably it started in this Messianic newsletter. Somebody 
translated it into Finnish for either a paranormal newsletter or a Finnish missionary newsletter. We don't know. And then somebody read it in the paranormal slash missionary newsletter and sent it into a letters to the editor section in a different newspaper. And then a staff member who was on staff at a Finnish evangelical Lutheran magazine read that story, didn't copy paste it, rewrote it from memory and published it in their magazine. And then that article ended up back in the US, translated back into English, and the Evangelical Lutheran magazine had been conflated with a respected scientific journal. And then the guy who got it in America sent it to TBN. Clear as mud? Wow. This is a fantastic game of telephone. I'm really enjoying it. So this is where the plot thickens. There is another piece of evidence that seems to confirm the validity of the well to hell. Also, it is a very rainy, stormy day here and i am loving like spooky stories on a rainy day that's fantastic it's great i'm so happy for you i i i love that vibe shortly after the original claim was published on tbn tbn received a letter that seemed to confirm the original claim a norwegian man named oge rendelin wrote in with a dramatic tale rendelin claimed that he just so happened to be traveling in the U.S. and flipped on the TV right when TBN was reading this original letter, and he thought it was nuts. He laughed it off. But when Rendelin returned home to Norway, he found the same story in every newspaper. Rendelin said that he had dreams about fire and screaming every night until he surrendered his life to God and got saved. He included in his letter to TBN a translated article from Norway's largest, quote, largest and most reputable newspaper with more details about the drilling. This, so he included, this is really important. He included an untranslated newspaper clipping from this newspaper that he claimed was Norway's largest and most reputable newspaper his own English translation of this article. He also included his own real name and phone number and the real name and phone number of a pastor in California who could confirm his story and his translation. So the translated article that Rendelin sent in claimed that Russian atheists had tried to stop the government from learning more about whatever was down in the well and included eyewitness testimony from someone named Mr. Numidal. Here's a quote from the translated article that Oge Rendelin wrote in to TBN. What really unnerved the Soviets, apart from the voice recordings, was the appearance that same night of a fountainhead of luminous gas shooting up from the drill site, and out of the midst of this incandescent cloud pillar, a brilliant being with bat wings revealed itself with the words in Russian, I have conquered, emblazoned against the dark Siberian sky. The incident was absolutely unreal. The Soviets cried out in terror, says Mr. Nimadol. Later that night, he saw ambulance crews circulating in the community. A driver he knew told him that they had been told to sedate everybody with a medication known to erase short-term memory. The Soviets used this drug in treatment of shock victims. Wow, that is spooky. (laughs) It is. It's spooky. That's real spooky. I love it. I didn't even use my spooky voice. 
it's it, this is a kind of a genuinely scary story maybe in the edit i'll give you a little bit of reverb or something make it a little, like a little bit of reverb and some organ behind yeah so this additional article sent in by rendalyn also included some little quotes from mr numadal here's an additional quote from dr azakov also the additional quote from dr azakov was as a communist, I don't believe in heaven or the Bible, but as a scientist, I now believe in hell. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think some of our listeners may have an idea where this is going. So as I mentioned earlier, Oge Rendelin, he sent in a letter he sent in about how he had been led to conversion by hearing this story and then seeing it in the papers in Norway. He sent in the Norwegian untranslated version of the news article in a physical newspaper clipping. He sent in his translation of the Norwegian article. He sent in his own real name and phone number and the real name and phone number of a pastor in California who could vouch for him and confirm his story. TBN broadcast Rendelin's letter and his translation of the Norwegian article without calling Rendelin to get his story, mm. without calling the California pastor who said that he could vouch for Rendelin, and without trying to translate the Norwegian article at all. So what did the article really say? What It was an article. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they really should have checked up on this. So in his research for the Christianity Today debunking of this myth in 1990, Rich Bueller gave Oge Rendelin a call. As it turns out, Rendelin had been waiting for that call for almost a year. Rendelin immediately ad admitted that he made up his entire letter that appeared to confirm the well to hell hoax. So he really was on vacation in the US and he saw the well to hell story being broadcast on TBN and he really did think that it was laughable. So when he got home to Norway, he took an article from his local paper, not the most prominent newspaper in Norway. It was from his local paper about a building inspector. He purposely mistranslated it and wrote this new complete fiction about the well to hell. So yeah, uh, if they had translated that article, they would have found out that it was a local news article about a human interest story about a building inspector. Not about... Soviets <laughs> drugging people and demons flying into the sky. So Rendelin included this article about the building instructor in Norwegian in case they wanted to do a tiny bit of fact checking. He also included his real phone number and was had com committed to tell the truth if he was called by anybody from TBN, which is why he immediately told the truth to Rich Mueller. The pastor in California was a real Christian pastor who was completely in on the ruse because both Rendelin and this pastor believed that TBN would publish this without doing any fact check. So the pastor in California had also committed to letting them in on the joke and telling them it was a hoax if they called him. So they didn't check the translation on the newspaper clipping. They didn't call the pastor. They didn't call their source. And Rendelin was able to catch them red-handed doing absolutely nothing to fact-check or verify the story before broadcasting it to who knows how many people. 
This is a stunning indictment of Trinity Broadcast Network, but I would expect nothing less. Oh, I I love all of this so much. This is fantastic. This is the kind of stuff that we've like low-key talked about doing from time to time, but never actually done in real life. Uh, Christianity Today, hire me. Christianity Today, see, like we've used them as a source multiple times on this show. They do. They, I dislike a lot of their theological stances, but they do good journalism. Yeah, they it does. Journalists, when, when they are doing a news or journalistic article, they are honest. Don't like much else they have to say, but that I will, I will speak to. Well, they did a, um, they did a, a Mike Warnke debunking, right? They did. Were, were they yes. the ones that did, they, they might have done something about John Todd as well? They did John Todd. Their article on John Todd was hugely helpful to us as well. But I think they did Bob Larson. Oh, they did Bob Larson. I think so. Yeah, it, I mean, it seems like they, like I, I may not agree with them theologically, but uh, it seems to me that they don't suffer grifters. No. So. Good so we you. can respect it. Yeah. Yeah, I respect it. Christianity Today, as well as Biblical Archaeology Today, which is evidently a real magazine, published articles calling this out as a hoax in 1990, just a year after it started circulating. But many evangelical Christians in the U.S. absolutely still believed that it was real. And they believed that anybody trying to debunk it was just being used by the devil to hinder this story from changing people's lives and bringing them to Jesus. Where have we heard this one before? This is just the ultimate confirmation times. bias. In 1990, Rich Bueller was contacted by a pastor from Flagstaff, Arizona. This pastor was wanting to tell Rich Bueller, you're wrong. The well to hell story is absolutely true. This pastor from Arizona says that he said that he knew this story about the well to hell was absolutely true because a man in his church was there. This man from an unnamed man from a church in Flagstaff, Arizona said that he had a PhD in physics from MIT and he let church members know that he had been on a secret mission to Russia for the past year. And during that year, he had met Gorbachev multiple times. This church member said that he was getting called back to work on the Well to Hell project, that they were going to get a heat-proof microphone and send it down and see what else they could find out. His job was going to be helping to develop a microphone that could actually record at 1100 degrees Celsius. So this pastor who this man, whose church this man belongs to said, Bueller, you're wrong. You're being used by the devil. This is for real. That's incredible. Six months <laughs> later, Bueller. <laughs> no, you got to hear the end of the story. <laughs> Six months later, Bueller got another letter from a member of that same church in Flagstaff, Arizona. It turns out that this guy who is claiming to be a PhD in physics from MIT, who is going back to develop a heat proof microphone, raised over $20,000 from church members <laughs> to help fund his expedition, but later turned out to be a fraud who stole all that money. That's the most, I mean, we've been covering these hoaxes <laughs> for a while now. 
and you like you start to sense it coming you really do that that somebody is gonna oh my god oh <laughs> did jack did he did the guy go and talk to jack chick and get jack chick to make a comic about it too so here's the thing if you click on That's these no. notes it's not a no <laughs> if you click if you if you look at the Snopes article about this particular hoax, there is an image embedded in the Snopes article telling part of this story, and it sure looks like Chick style to me. It really looks like Chick's style. I did a reverse image search. I did too. On, <laughs> and I was expecting it to come up with Chick publications, and it didn't. It came up in a couple, like it came up in a couple places that were like, it's uh, all articles about this thing. It's all articles about it, or it's like this is a hoax website, and this is the picture that they have on like this spooky stories website. Right. Um. So we were not able to confirm whether Chick made that image. It is really similar to his style. If you told me that was a Chick image, then I would have said yes. I did some. I did some word searching on the Chick website and looked through some comics to try to find this image. Couldn't find it, so I'm not sure that Chick ever wrote about it, but it's possible. Well, what I did was I went to Chick's website and I didn't do like keyword searches, but on Chick's website, he'll let you sort by topic. Yeah. And I did that and I just was like, show me comics about hell, but like all his comics were about hell. Right. So it's a lot to sort through. Yeah. Jack Chick really loved drawing pictures of people getting thrown into a fiery burning lake of lava. Right. <laughs> so regardless of <clears throat> multiple debunkings, this story about the well to hell continued to circulate far and wide in evangelical Christian circles in the United States throughout the 90s. In 1998, Art Bell's Coast to Coast radio program received an email. The email writer tells Art Bell that they were also a skeptic until they heard the recording of the screams of hell. And that changed their mind. Ooh. The email writer's uncle, they say, was a collector of paranormal type stuff. And the uncle claimed that he had been given this recording on cassette tape by somebody who worked at the BBC. The email writer include, included a digitized version of that very cassette tape. So I would like to go ahead and play this clip for you. I'm fairly confident, like I was hearing this in church growing up, and I think a lot of people also were. And I think hearing again how hokey it is will... Be healing if you need to skip it. It's only about 17 seconds long. So feel free to skip 30 seconds if you need to. But I think a lot of listeners would be curious to hear it. So we are going to include it here. So Sadie, what do you think of that clip? What or what did you think when you heard it? I think when oh that's <laughs> sorry, that's a tough question. When I heard it, I feel like I almost 
dissociated because it was such a horrendous thing to hear. Hmm. Like when I heard this as a kid. Right. That's yeah. That's what I'm asking. Cause you've been told this is what is awaiting people. This is this, real. This is Thought real is people. Real. This, these are the voices of real humans who have been thrown into a pit of eternal torture that they will never escape. That is disturbing. Yeah. And, and it is as I think that's worse as a child because adults, I think adults who were sitting next to me in church have a framework for how they view the world and they have the concept of skepticism. So even an adult that is fully bought in, fully sold out to the IFB, fully trusting their pastor, believing whatever their pastor says, they have the concept of disbelief or skepticism, and they are never going to believe and internalize what they are hearing to the extent that a small child would, if that makes sense. They are processing this with an adult mind, not a child's mind. Uh, and I just, I think I just kind of, I remember I wouldn't have been allowed to put my hands over my ears in church because that would be disrespectful. But I remember dissociating on purpose, which is something that I learned how to do as a child very young uh, for mm -hmm. just such situations. And I didn't realize until many years later in therapy that that's what I was doing and that it is generally considered not ideal. When I heard it, my immediate thought was, I bet I could make that. Like, I, like, yes. I, well, I, somebody I, did make it. Well, I, I mean, I use what I use Logic Pro 10 to edit our podcast. I use Logic Pro 10 to like record music from time to time. And I'm just listening to this. I'm like, the, like the audio engineering part of my brain kicks in like, oh, I, I figured I, I, I could, I could probably make that if I made some noises into a microphone and then layered them on top of each other. And then like did like variable pitch, variable speed, stuff like that. And then like added some distortion and made it sound all blown out and then like looped it back at different speeds, add some like tape echo or something that I bet I could make that. So, and people have been able to conclusively prove that whatever this audio is and wherever it came from, it has been electronically altered. It is a looped audio to layer the screams the way that they sound in the recording that we just heard. A popular theory is that it comes uh, the original audio that was then like looped and edited and distorted to make the sound that we hear now. The original audio came from the 1972 horror movie Barren Blood. Other people disagree and think that the original clips would have come from somewhere else, but that's one popular theory. You know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to splice this in right now. Um, is but be between the time that we're recording and the time that we're releasing this, I'm going to try and recreate as close to I can of that sound in logic using nothing but my own voice. And I'll see how close I can get. Okay, that sounds really cool. I am excited to hear what you put together, although I won't hear it until the episode streams. <laughs>
So thanks for listening to that. That was my version of whatever it was that we just heard. And it was either really close or not close because at the time that we're recording this, I haven't done it yet. But uh, yeah, decide what you think based on that. So this is some of the history of this hoax. This particular urban legend, like a lot of urban legends, has been passed around in so many different permutations and used for so many different purposes, including illegitimate fundraising. Um, <laughs> I'm still kind of giggling over that Arizona guy. 20 grand. Um, 20 grand in 1990. That's like, yeah. what, what is that, 40, 45 today? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, I reckon. I don't know about inflation, something like that. It, it's also birthed some spinoff hoaxes. There was one that was published in U.S. tabloids a few years later about the same story, but taking place in an uh, oil drilling well in Alaska. And it's been passed around so much in so many different versions that I think we've gotten about as good as we're going to get on tracing where it came from. It's very hard and often impossible to prove a negative. So proving that this never happened is pretty unlikely. But we can see that this story has absolutely no proof, has some incredibly unlikely elements. We're going to go take up the offering. When we come back, we're going to do some further fact-checking of our own on the details of this story. And I'm excited for that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. Uh, I know Sadie said that you can't prove a negative, but in this second half of the episode, I'm going to prove definitely, definitively, excuse me, that this never happened. Uh, yeah. Bear <laughs> with us. Uh, Sadie, uh, out of curiosity, have because so the story is the Soviets in Siberia drilled down fourteen point four miles in, or fourteen point four kilometers, nine miles into the earth, and they cracked through into hell. Um, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and there's stuff down there. Have you seen the movie The Core with Aaron Eckhart and Hilary Swank? I have not. It's like, ask Jonathan about this movie. Maybe he's seen it. He, I'm sure he remembers like the commercials for this movie because this was like a, a big movie back in, I want to say like 2002, 2003. But it's basically like Armageddon or Deep Impact, uh, except instead of like going to space they and like nuking an asteroid, they have to go down into the center of the planet and like nuke the core of the planet so that the core of the planet starts spinning again and thunderstorms will like stop killing everybody. So they build a giant drill made of unobtainium to go down to the center of the core and do that. Uh huh. It's not a good movie. It's actually kind of a bad movie, but it's very much like an I'm homesick and this is what's on TNT kind of movie. Uh, and so for that, I love it. Okay. I, I will give it, it is enjoyable. But it's not a good movie. You know, I like a lot of bad movies. <laughs> you know, my taste in movies is the better, like if if it's considered to be a great movie, the, that makes me less likely to like it because I just want dumb entertainment. You should absolutely watch The Core starring uh, Hilary Swank and Aaron Eckhart. I will add it to my list. Add it to your list. Ask Jonathan about it. I'm sure you'll like... I. I, I, I thought this movie was a fever dream for years. And then I opened up Netflix and it said new on Netflix this week, the core. And I'm like, I thought I like hallucinated this movie, but it turns out I didn't hallucinate this movie. It was a real movie that they actually made. It was not a good movie, but it was a great. There actually have been a couple movies that were loosely inspired either by the well to hell story or an actual thing that happened. So the Cola Super Deep Borehole was an actual project on the Kola Peninsula in Russia, not in Siberia. There actually was a hole that was drilled 12 kilometers deep for research. So I did a lot of research into the Kola Super Deep Borehole. And this is, I will tell you, Kola Super Deep Borehole is such an interesting YouTube research article like rabbit hole it's it, like it's it's so, just like weird scientific projects that people have done is such an interesting rabbit hole i i like i will watch 80 youtube videos about that <laughs> if you if you like send me like a weird project then i'll watch them anyway the cola super deep borehole was a project that was done for scientific research as we remember during the cold war the americans and the soviets were sort of involved in a competitive research war which gave us like the space race they were also drilling deep into the earth just kind of to see what's down there because they finally had the technology to enable them to do so so they were also like doing things like exploring the depths of the ocean to see like whose submarines could go deeper stuff like that and then like trying to go and see oh what's under the ice in the antarctica like that's just kind of a thing that people were doing during the cold war it's a fascinating time highly look recommend looking into those things anyway cola peninsula is a uh peninsula that's up in the far northwest of russia it's up near scandinavia so that is for the record the far opposite end of Russia to where Siberia is. Yes. Like New York and Portland, Oregon. Or like New York and Anchorage, Alaska is. Yeah, but backwards. Yeah, exactly. It, it, is, very, it is 
not the farthest away two places could be and still both be in Russia technically, but it's pretty close. Yeah. So the Soviets chose a location close to the border with like Norway and Sweden. That's a, that's like up where it is to drill down into the earth. And they chose this location for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons was it's far from volcanic areas. It's not a place where they would expect to find oil. And also the atmospheric currents on the Kola Peninsula make it warmer than a lot of other places in the Arctic. So, and like while extremely cold temperatures do occur, it is an area that is more habitable year round than other areas of the far north. So that's why they chose the Kola Peninsula. The drill that was used was made by a company called Euromash and was a version of an oil drilling rig that was modified to support much deeper drilling depth. And it used a drill bit that was about 23 centimeters or nine inches in diameter. Then in 1970, this drilling project began and many interesting discoveries were made. They drilled about a third of the way through the Earth's crust. And at these extreme depths, they found liquid water, they found gaseous hydrogen, and they found fossilized plankton. Very cool. The borehole itself, which is the deepest hole ever drilled into Earl, which is the deepest hole ever drilled into the Earth, uh, was was drilled down to a depth of 12 kilometers or about 7.6 miles. The research project was continued through the breakup of the Soviet Union until the project lost funding in 1995 and shut down. The project site has since been abandoned, and now it's sort of like a weird tourist attraction that you can go to. And if you're like in Russia hanging out on the border with Norway and Sweden, then you can go and see the Kola super deep borehole. But Unfortunately, you can't like drop a stone down the hole or anything because there's a manhole cover sort of welded over the top of it, which I yeah, assume is no, for safety reasons. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that would be cool. Just to, like if they had like a fence around it, uh-uh. you know. Yeah, I am. Mm-mm. So I'm. I am not afraid of heights. I am kind of afraid of depths, like that. Like being up in a plane doesn't bother me. Being up on something high, climbing high things does not bother me. But the I, the very idea that a hole that deep exists freaks, it just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It's so uncomfortable. So you would not have been one to go on the ocean gate. Oh, good Lord. No, you could not pay me enough. I I uh, did not look up how long it would take if you dropped a stone down to the bottom of the Kola super deep borehole, how long it would take to get there. But I assume that the stone would reach terminal velocity by the time it got to the bottom, which would be very interesting. Also, the temperature down there changes greatly, which would change the air density, which would also change how much wind resistance there was. So I don't know how long it would take. Anyway. Anyway, there is a, there is a real very deep hole in... Russia near the Norwegian border. Yes. And it's also not the only hole of its kind. The United States and Germany have both over the years had similar projects. And earlier this year, China has embarked on their own super deep borehole in the Tarim Basin in the Xinjiang province in northwest China, which is near the border with Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. So uh, good luck uh, to China. And I hope they find cool stuff down there. 
Please let me know where the ones in the United States are so that I may avoid them <laughs> forever. I think they were drilling it on like an island somewhere, so don't worry about it. I, I, I'll have to look that up. Um, That's good news. So, so what we learned is it is possible to drill a hole that deep because I had questions about how would you do the drill bit, and I still kind of have those questions, but apparently it is possible. Another part of the claim, so another crucial part of the original claim is that it was extremely hot, like much, much hotter than they expected about 14 miles or nine miles, 14 kilometers deep. Yes. So high temperatures are to be expected deeper into the Earth's crust because it is closer to the mantle, which is made of molten rock. The Earth's crust is largely made of igneous rocks like granite and basalt, which are formed under extreme heat. However, they would not be expecting a temperature of 1100 degrees Celsius at a depth of 14 kilometers that's not realistic that's about the temperature of the outer part of the earth's mantle in that area it's about like they drilled about a third of the way through so that's the temperature that they would be expecting three times further than they were actually drilling so like the only reason why you would be why you would expect to find that temperature is if you were drilling in a volcanic area which they were not according to the geothermal gradient of the Earth's crust, the expected temperature increase is about 25 to 30 degrees Celsius per kilometer of depth, or about 77 to 83 degrees Fahrenheit per mile. So at a depth of 14 kilometers, you would expect a temperature of between 350 and 420 degrees Celsius, or between... Uh, 662 and 788 degrees Fahrenheit, so very hot, but not anywhere close to the 1,100 degrees Celsius that the story claims that they found. Also worth noting, the story says that researchers only expected to find a temperature of 100 to 150 degrees Celsius, which is definitely a red flag if, with regards of the validity, uh, the validity of the story. However, the real temperatures do validate the claim that the researchers would have brought equipment that was specially suited for like metering and and uh and 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 sensory equipment for high temperatures. Okay. Because plenty of real microphone like actual microphones would be able to get through 100 or 150. Well, not no not Celsius. They might. Well, uh, okay, so so there's sensory equipment for 150 Celsius. There may be a sensory equipment for 350 degrees Celsius, but there isn't really anything for 1100 degrees Celsius. And we're specifically talking about a microphone. And if you know a little bit about how microphones work, this sounds really shaky. Is there any microphone that could survive 1100 degrees Celsius temperatures? If you buy like a regular consumer microphone, like the one that I'm talking into now, usually if you go to the manufacturer's website, they'll say this product works in the temperature range of this to this. And it'll be something like, I don't know, like 125 degrees Fahrenheit to negative 30 Fahrenheit or something like that. 
or whatever that is in Celsius. I'm sorry, I'm American. So I searched for high temperature microphones on the internet to see if I could find any that were like specially made for industrial applications. And I was able to find one microphone that had an operating temperature rating of 125 degrees Celsius or 260 degrees Fahrenheit that is meant for uh, commercial use in testing aircrafts like jet engine parts, HVAC systems, and power plants. I was able to find a microphone that can work at 1,000 feet underwater at a pressure of 100 bar, but I was not able to find a microphone that works at 1,100 degrees Celsius or like 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I was not able to find a microphone that had this potential that was commercially available, so I decided that since I know how a microphone works, I would try to think about what engineering problems they would run into like from an engineering perspective. So the basic mechanism of how a microphone works is similar to how a pair of headphone works. It's similar to how your ear works. So a thin paper-like membrane known as a diaphragm is moved back and forth by the changes in pressure that are known as sound waves. The membrane's movement is captured either by your nervous system or by a magnet and is turned into an electrical signal and it then goes either into your brain or onto tape or into an interface where the signal is converted from analog to digital and converted into like zeros and ones and then it goes into a computer. The problem with a microphone withstanding 1000 or 1100 degrees is that if you have a diaphragm that is thin enough to move back and forth, but also strong enough, like it, it's going to be difficult to have one that's thin enough that can move back and forth like that with sound waves and also be strong enough to withstand that temperature. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> having to repair and replace diaphragms and microphones with my dad. Like this is something I've done on actual microphones and they are, it's not quite like saran wrap or cellophane, but it's nearly that in a lot of like handheld microphones they can either be made out of plastic which can melt or they can be made out of like a paper like a, a kind of paper which will burn at mm -hmm. too high a temperature capturing a sound wave itself this way is to me it seems like it's not possible but then i was like thinking what ways of capturing sound are there that are not like a microphone diaphragm like we're using right now and there are ways that are that you can capture sound without using a microphone so like electric guitars for instance have a magnetic pickup that will sense the string vibration and turn that into an electrical signal but they don't have microphones acoustic electric guitars have a special kind of pickup called a piezoelectric pickup that uses quartz crystals to turn vibrations into an electrical current so quartz uh is a mineral also known as uh silicone dioxide it's one of the most common minerals on earth and it has an interesting characteristic it has an interesting property that it will physically vibrate when an electrical current is run through it and vice versa so when it is vibrated by a sound wave or by movement in the ground it will generate a weak electrical signal. And fun fact, this is how battery powered watches work. If you didn't know that, now you know. 
But quartz crystals have a melting point of 1,600 degrees Celsius, so I can imagine that it would theoretically be possible to build a microphone slash like vibration sensor type device that would have a large diaphragm made from sheet metal that was thin enough to be vibrated by sound waves moving through the air, but also strong enough to not become malleable and like thereby absorbing the sound waves as the heat increased. Or it could be made out of like some sort of stone or some kind of mineral, but just as long as it wasn't made of something that would lose its strength and its rigidity as the temperature increased to 1,100 degrees Celsius. So an 1,100 degree microphone is, I personally believe, theoretically possible, although this piece of equipment would be very rare and would be highly specialized. So I had a thought and I just looked something up. Um, You could make the diaphragm for this microphone from carbon fiber. Oh, okay. Melting point melting point around 3600 degrees celsius and you can weave carbon fiber into basically sheets of paper like when they make um, really thin yeah yeah because they make they make cars out of carbon fiber and essentially what they do is it's like a it's like a woven textile is what carbon fiber Mm -hmm. is is it's it's a woven textile of threads of hydrocarbons and it's very lightweight it's very stiff but it's also very thin and that's how they do it is basically they like when they make cars out out of it they basically just like paper mache it yeah i watched uh how it's made where cellos were being made out of carbon fiber they make a lot of things out of carbon fiber they make uh but that's very smart i would have thought what would they carbon fiber didn't even come to me but that's absolutely you could make it out of a piezoelectric pickup made from carbon fiber i'm sure that you could make a thousand degree microphone out of it doing that okay. now that you've said that so a thousand degrees celsius microphone is possible but probably does not exist now because what would you need it for right i guess this is probably what the church member in arizona was supposed to be creating except for the part where he was a grifter and a fraud yeah um god i i can't believe i mean people really fell for that and people were like going to bat on his behalf <laughs> And I feel bad for all the church members who lost money, but I do love that the pastor was like, this is real, and then never wrote back because he got proved wrong. I mean, but if your pastor vouches for a guy, then you have to yeah. believe him, especially if you're fundy. I asked my mother, who has a doctorate in geology, what equipment is used by geologists to, quote, listen to the earth. And she told me something very interesting. She told me that listening to the earth is more a figure of speech than it is actually like putting your ear to the ground and like listen. Like they have sensors that record vibration and movement of the plates and the rock, but they're not generating sounds with this data. They use equipment similar to like radar or sonar to send sound waves into the earth and then they, or, or like light waves into the earth as well. And then the way that these waves reverberate back will tell them uh, and the way that they resonate will 
help the geologists generate an image of what is under the ground. So this is what's used by geologists. It's what's used by people in the oil and gas industry for figuring out where oil is, where they can drill. And fun fact, this is also how like auto-tune was invented. It was invented by a guy in the oil and gas industry who was using this technology and was like, how do I change the pitch of sounds huh. that are coming back? Yeah. Very interesting. But anyway, I, what I'm trying to say is that it is, according to the story, the reset, the researchers expected a temperature of 100 to 150 degrees. So it is highly unlikely that they would have access to a microphone microphone that was made to operate at 1,100 degrees. I'm, so I'm really interested in how any equipment could at all go down 14 miles uh, like, did they have a really, 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 really long extension cord? How are they powering this microphone? So I think that probably what they did was they went to Guitar Center and they bought a bunch of the Mogami XLR 50 foots with the gold connectors <laughs> so that the sound wouldn't, that the signal wouldn't degrade over 14 kilometers. No, actually, the, so I looked it up and the melting point of copper is 1084 degrees Celsius, uh, which is less than 1100 degrees and so the copper would melt at that temperature i'm not sure how quickly it would melt but it it, it would that is above the melting point of copper additionally it i mean the, the story does say however that the microphone melted within a minute i mean and maybe like I'm, I'm also thinking maybe the cables were insulated so that the heat didn't all like get all the way into it immediately and so that's why it took a minute i don't know I, I do feel like we're getting into like jet fuel can't melt steel beams territory with this i guess i don't know it's important to point out that copper would still probably conduct electricity very close to this temperature but it is important to also point out that at the temperature that is close to copper's melting point it would lose its like strength and rigidity and the cable could possibly disconnect if the metal inside it melted and the there stopped being a like like a, a full connection between one end and the other. I'm sorry, I just imagine them getting that cable all the way down there and then like as they are a hundred feet from the bottom of the borehole where it punches through into this cavity, all of a sudden the cord goes slack and the because the microphone just dropped off the end because the cable disconnected. Yeah, or just like I mean, like, what would they have been insulating it with? It, it would have been like, could have been plastic. I mean, it couldn't have been plastic because I mean, but that's what we think of when we think of like, what is insulating cables? I don't even know what they would use for this application. I guess if they had, if they were planning on doing a microphone that could withstand 1100 degrees, then they'd probably somehow have cables that could withstand 1100 degrees and they'd probably use some sort of the conductive material in the cable would either it might not be pure copper it might be some copper alloy that has a higher melting point i really like i couldn't tell you it would be some like better conductor than that or something so they would have to balance between whether or not the melting point is high enough for them to use it for this or whether or not it's a good enough conductor to actually transmit the signal this long. But like, I mean, think about it. Like, you know how, when you leave your sun out, your phone out in the sun on a hot day, it'll like stop working because the, like the components are overstressed by the heat or like the, the soldering mm -hmm. 
will like melt only instead of it being like 40 degrees out celsius when you're leaving your phone out it's like uh, 1100 degrees this is i'm not saying it's impossible i'm saying that it, it would be its own unique engineering problem that you would have to solve that you would have to think about it is funny to think about some dude walking into a guitar center in Russia and asking for 919 50 foot extension cords. <laughs> yes, I did the math while you were talking. Um, so, okay, but there are battery operated microphones. The thing is that batteries are also made of metal and conductive components. So I'm not sure of a battery that wouldn't melt at that kind of temperature either. Yes. I don't like, I'm trying to think how it work um, from like the audio engineering side of my brain. Um, Cause it, it, the, the length of cable, the 14 kilometers of cable, th we talk about there being some signal loss. If you have a 50 foot instrument cable, like even the highest quality instrument cables, guitar cables, microphone cables would have needed a preamp or like a buffer that would have had to have an external power source and not be like a passive signal for it to make it like 14 kilometers. This isn't like a line level signal, a signal which is going to be like at minus 10 dB. This is going to be a mic level signal, which is even weaker. So it's like it could be as weak as like minus 60 dB that you're getting out of this microphone. And I don't know how strong piezoelectric level signals are if we're using the theoretical microphone that i theorized about earlier that being said xlr connectors were invented in 1955 and phantom power was invented in um and i looked this up it was invented in 1966 so it's possible that it could have been powered by an external power source that was like at the top and the cable that was you know going down taking the signal from the microphone all the way back to the top could have also been taking a powered like like phantom power down mm -hmm. which is a thing like because if you use a condenser microphone then your condenser microphone is going to have like phantom power rather than if you use a dynamic microphone then the dynamic microphone is going to be passive signal i don't think that it would have been possible to use a battery because battery capacity is negatively affected by high heat and many of, like, as you said, many of the electricity storing elements within them may change drastically at a temperature of 1100 C and degrade their ability to hold or release an electrical charge. So the technical details of this seem close to impossible, but I don't know. Maybe they're like, I'm not a material scientist, so I don't, or I'm not a materials engineer, so I don't know if there are specialized batteries or specialized cables that are made for use at this temperature. But I'm sure that, I, like, I'm sure that there are. Somebody's got to make them because I'm sure that there is an industry that would require that engineering solution. But I just don't know if they weren't expecting 1100 degrees Celsius. Then I think it's unlikely that they would have had this highly specialized equipment that would have been able to withstand it. So we're talking about something that happens 14.4 kilometers, approximately nine miles underground. So it sounds like they're claiming, if we take the original claim at face value, 
as charitably as we can. It sounds like they're claiming that it wasn't much hotter than they expected until they punched through into hell. And then the hell part was what was 1100 degrees Celsius. The thing is, once that hole is punched, the heat from that cavity that they believe was hell is going to radiate, like heat radiates. Um, it's just, that's conduction, um, which I did learn about even in ACE and Abeka science classes. Well, you need to know that because that's how a stove works and that's how an oven works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, you got me there. Kitchen so, burn. Hot, hot, don't touch. Hot, hot, don't touch. <laughs> so, the, the, so you don't put the microphone down in the hole and at 14.3 kilometers down, it's only 350 degrees Celsius. And then as soon as you cross over that line into hell, it's suddenly 1100 degrees Celsius. Like that's not how heat conduction works to me throws further doubt on the claim that the microphone got anything at all and then melted because that's just not how science works right i can imagine if they were like drilling down and it was 350 degrees and then when they punched through the temperature was 1100 but then once they start lowering the microphone down once it gets to a certain dis like a certain proximity Th then it's going to melt before it even gets to the opening. So the hypothetical microphone, they admit that it did melt in the extreme heat at the bottom of the borehole. But as we've been talking about, it can't just, you can't just put a microphone next to something and the microphone magically picks up sound. Microphones transmit either through a cable or wirelessly. The signal wouldn't have made it back up if it was unpowered. But regular wireless microphones, like if you see a musician at a concert using a wireless microphone, or you might see them wearing a headset with a microphone that's taped to their face, and then there's a battery pack that clips into their belt or gets taped onto their lower back, those wireless microphones, depending on what kind it is, can sometimes transmit 100 feet or 500 feet or really fancy ones, even 1,000 feet. But the receiver for that microphone needs to be within that range and then that receiver gets plugged into the PA system that amplifies your favorite musician so that you can hear them during the concert. Like regardless of what kind of wireless microphone they're using, there has to be a receiver and it has to be within range. And wireless microphones do not transmit 14 miles. It would need like a transmitter similar to what you would use for commercial radio station to transmit if that signal is not coming back up from the borehole through a cord, it would have to come through a basically a radio transmitter. So those are kind of the only two options. Like either the microphone has 14 miles of cable run or there is a transmitter also down in the hole that can transmit for 14 miles. Those are the only two ways that we could have ever gotten sound out of this hypothetical hole. If it were me, and this is just me spitballing of what I would design if I was trying to solve this engineering problem, what I would do is I would make like an insulated disc that would insulate. And on one side of the disc, there would be a like a preamp or something like that 
and then I would run the cable from the disc down. Like, so the disc would probably be like 50 feet from the hole into hell. And then the everything that was on the top half of that would be insulated from the extreme heat. And then everything that was below that would be specifically built to withstand that heat. And mm-hmm. then it would drop down in there and then you could get a powered signal back up. But that's the sort of thing where they would have had to know that information beforehand and they would have had to design that. Right. Especially because the the real borehole, the cola super deep is, did you look up how wide it is? Yes. It's, o- it's, it's only like nine inches diameter. It's it's uh, 23 centimeters is the... Yeah. Um, so you can't fit a huge piece of equipment down there. Whatever you are putting down there has to be pretty small. I mean, and you could you could power a signal with something that was smaller than nine inches. Sure. Um, something like that. This is just such a... Like, it's such a specific... But you would basically need a nine inch in diameter piece of insulation that would be able to withstand that heat and keep that heat but it would also have to have holes in it that are made to not let heat through the other side to this is this is just such a a unlikely engineering situation that they really obviously just didn't think about when they were yeah this is not something that you could do on a whim this is not something oh we accidentally drilled this super deep hole and found something we didn't expect at the bottom let's send a microphone down 14 miles anybody got a microphone in their truck yeah it's it's just (laughs) it's just it's not theoretically impossible but it is so so unlikely and the original story presents these things in such a matter-of-fact way that's intended to lead you to think that it's totally possible, plausible, and here's the recording. And the technical ability to do this thing is actually so much more complex. Yeah, I'm just imagining somebody getting an SM58 from their car and <laughs> just like plugging it into like 11 miles or, or 14 miles of guitar center cable and just like. <laughs> I mean, my dad probably had that microphone and and at least a couple hundred feet of guitar center cable in his car at any given time i mean everybody's got like every, every musician that i know has like one or two or three sm58s just like lying around you go to their house they'll, they'll just have these microphones lying around just because they're i'm imagining you know what i'm imagining i'm imagining the sound technician guy with who's bald on the top of his head but has a ponytail and is wearing like a uh cheap trick tour 1978 t-shirt you know the cargo guy shorts. cargo yeah. shorts and uh the glasses with the the clear frames um, uh-huh and uh circle uh, circle beard uh, that's every sound tech at every live music venue that you've ever been imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. To no, but like I'm also like with this electrical signal that would have to come back out because electrical signal moves quickly almost instantly because voltage is like pressure and an electrical signal is going to move faster than like a sound wave would move um because the sound wave has to like travel through the air but the electrical signal just goes through a wire like think of it as like if you're trying to knock a bottle off of a stool if you're trying to you can like hit it with a whip and that's like the sound wave because the wave goes through the whip and hits it or you can just like poke it off with like the end of a broom and that's more like the electrical signal of getting the sound out thing that kind of came up for me though is any sound that would be detectable at that temperature or pressure that's sort of what i'm thinking about here because obviously breaking into a very hot cavern an 1100 degree celsius cavern would release a high pressure sound wave that if the microphone detected it it would probably be greater than the amplitude that the microphone was able to record. So it would be like, you know, the kind of distortion that you hear when somebody yells into a microphone or they're too close to it. Or like if you're recording outside and there's a lot of wind noise, you would get that kind of distortion on the sound. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it, it's just, there's too much noise and it would just blow it out. Like if you run too much volume through a speaker, then the speaker stops working. So that was the other thought that i had so i was wondering because like even if you could get a microphone that could withstand that heat would it be able to withstand how big the pressure wave would be if it cracked through into the 1100 degrees celsius cavern and so i decided to sort of take a look at the facts and figures and the numbers of that um and i found some interesting things okay i'm interested so the air temperature in this cavern is stated to be uh, 1100 degrees Celsius. This has been established, but with gas at that high temperature is also going to come a lot of pressure. And so I was trying to figure out exactly how much pressure there would be if you're holding gas at that temperature. So volcanic eruptions happen when magma fills a magma chamber in a volcano and the pressure from the volcanic gases builds to the point where the pressure below from the gases is greater than the weight of the rock over it and then the eruption happens when there's a release of pressure which can be like a big eruption with tons of ash or like gas shot up into the atmosphere like you see with like a famous example of this is mount st helens which is a stratovolcano in washington state or it might be an extended eruption with like a lava flow until the pressure is equalized up above and down below like you would see on a shield volcano like kilauea in hawaii places where there is a gap in the earth's crust become major volcanic hotspots like a place like iceland or a place like japan due to the heat radiating out from the earth's cent- uh, center and the pressure finding weak spots 
um, in the Earth's crust, and then the pressure is released, and that's where you get a lot of volcanic eruptions. According to the United States Geological Survey, the temperature that was coming out of the top of Mount St. Helens when it erupted in 1980 ranged from between 700 degrees Celsius and 1200 degrees Celsius. If you don't mind, I will say that it is about 1100 C. Is that is that fair? Sure. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. To say because it's within the range, I don't think I'm like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I'm stretching it too much. It, it, that's I mean, it might be a little closer to the higher end than the lower end. So, and that's you what, could say nearly 1100 Celsius. Yeah, uh, a, a, around in the general vicinity of 1100 Celsius. Um, and these are rough facts and figures, so don't don't quote me on this. So the same temperature of gas that the Soviets allegedly discovered in this cavern that is allegedly hell is the same temperature as is coming out of the top of an erupting stratovolcano. The explosion, and I looked at and I looked this up. The explosion from Mount St. Helens had a force of around 24 megatons of TNT or 1 billion gigajoules of energy. The ash cloud from uh, this volcano reached an altitude of 24 kilometers or 15 miles. However, if you've seen the video of Mount St. Helens erupting, and I know I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so this was something that like we'd watch in science class, you'll remember that the volcano did not explode out of like a small area at the top of the volcano the basically the entire side of the mountain collapsed and then it just like blew out the side of the mountain and shot a huge ash cloud when that pressure was released so the resulting crater the resulting area over which that pressure from that 1100 c gas was exerted is about 1.8 kilometers in diameter or about two and a half square kilometers. So the Kola super deep borehole is a diameter of 23 centimeters or uh, 415 centimeters squared or one six billionth of the size of the crater in the top of Mount St. Helens. So you're getting that same pressure, that same temperature, but over one six billionth of the area. That like blew the entire side off of Mount St. Yeah, Helens. Blew the entire and- side off the mountain. In a 23 centimeter diameter hole. Yeah, in a 23 centimeter. And that's that's like what you're breaking through. And I'm just assuming that this is the size of the borehole because that's the same size of the borehole as the Cola Super Deep borehole. Um, and I'm just assuming that they're similar. And I'm jumping to a lot of conclusions here. I The other thing that I decided... See, I, do, think, like, I think you're fine because... Some people have told this story and claimed that it happened at the Cola Superdeep, and other people have told this story and claimed that it happened at very similar geological boreholes to the Cola Superdeep. Yes, so I don't feel like I'm out of sorts here for trying for like making these two things comparable. No, I think you're fine. The other thing that I did was I tried to find like cuz that's a 24 megatons of TNT is a huge explosion. I attempted to find the weight of the drilling equipment that was used for the Cola Superdeep borehole and I was able to determine that the drilling equipment used was as I said before a modified oil rig made by a company called Euromash. So prior to 1975 the model of drill that they were using was called the Euromash 4E, but from 1975 onward, 
it was a model called the Ural Mash 15,000. And it was called the 15,000 because the weight of this oil rig was 15,000 metric tons, including a 74 foot tall tower that was built above the hole to house the drilling equipment. So my assumption is that the hypothetical rig that was used to drill the 14 kilometer hole into hell was also a Ural Mash 15,000 because that's the piece of kit that the Soviets were using for a similar project elsewhere. So we have to figure out basically the physics surrounding this force that would have been potentially exerted by the 1100 degrees Celsius highly pressurized gas in the cavern, as well as the rough weight of the drill itself with the focused explosion into the area one six billionth the size of the area of the volcano blast. Because with the area one six billionth the size, like you think about it, like if you, you know, when you put your thumb over the end of a garden hose and it like mm -hmm. it, and it shoots it further it like like it's like a sure. nozzle yeah like the water gets the water jet gets stronger because the same pressure is focused on a smaller area so according to my calculations and accounting for gravity um the ural mash 15000 would have been launched 1200 kilometers into the air <laughs> Oh, okay. Yes, it would have had an exit after punching through into hell and uh, accounting for gravity. It would have had an exit velocity of 3,464 meters per second or uh, 7,748 miles per hour or uh, about 10 times the speed of sound. It would reach outer space in less than a minute, crossing the Cayman line, which is uh, the barrier between outer space and, and which is the basically the barrier once you cross the Cayman line which is 100 kilometers above sea level uh, that's where outer space starts after reaching an altitude of 1200 kilometers it would come crashing back down to earth spending 41 minutes in the air and landing 1123 kilometers west of the borehole uh, we don't have an actual location for or an exact location for the alleged bore site except for that it's somewhere in siberia which is about 5.2 million square miles or 13 million square kilometers and takes up about nine percent of earth's total land area like siberia is about the size of the combined area of the united states and india so saying it's somewhere in siberia is not very specific uh so i have no idea where this thing would land if it could have landed if I had a launch point, like where the borehole was, I could tell you where to look for it, but I can't. So I don't, so I can't, uh, but uh -huh. yes, <coughs> this thing would have very literally flown into space. Yes. 1,200 kilometers in, or, or 1,100 kilometers into space is I wonder if the sound wave coming out of the hole would have been enough to injure people's eardrums. Oh, absolutely. Like that sounds like I'm a sure. half. It's not half the crew quit out of fear of hell. It's 75% of the crew ended up permanently deaf. Um, also, because I know how sound waves can permanently injure eardrums or if they are strong enough can actually seriously injure or kill a person if it was a hypothetically that big of a sound wave also the heat the sudden heat coming out of the hole like it would dissipate pretty quickly likely but there could have been a heat wave that was enough to hurt 
people or make people sick. Well, the way that you, the way that I think about this is it's like, if think of it like a gun where you, where the bullet weighs 1500 or 15,000 metric tons and the barrel is 14 kilometers long and uh, 23 centimeters in diameter and the gunpowder charge is 24 megatons. That's like, I mean, it's like we've turned the planet into a super weapon and I guess with a projectile that weighs a little bit less that we could probably use it to shoot down invading alien starships, provided they decided to invade exactly above Siberia or the one point in Siberia that this Yeah, we thing just happened. have to we just have to tell the aliens this is the place to land when you invade us. Exactly these coordinates. You can't be more than five inches off. I mean, I, I guess we turned uh, the Soviets turned Earth into Starkiller Base is what essentially we're saying here. But this is like, and like when we're talking about this experiment, like this potentially, like they've done stuff like this before. Like I think in the 1950s, I'll have to look this up. They were doing, they stopped doing open air nuclear tests eventually. And this was around somewhere around the time when they stopped doing open air nuclear tests. So they started doing underground nuclear tests, which basically you just drill to the bottom of like a mine shaft and then you start, you detonate a nuclear bomb down there and you measure yield with a seismograph to basically see how, how much is the earth shaking and how big is like the shock wave in the ground. And that's how you tell how powerful the bomb is. One time they, detonated the nuclear bomb at the bottom of a mine shaft and they put a manhole cover over the top of it and shot the manhole cover into space uh-huh this is an actual thing that actually happened i'm not making this up this isn't like a a fever dream i promise that this is actually true it, when you when you talk about so the the pressure the logistics of getting a microphone down the provenance of how the story got to tbn there's not a single thing that makes this story seem real. The no. thing with the, the brain in the jar story is we can't prove, we can't prove that it never happened. And it actually seems kind of likely that J. Frank Norris did bring some kind of brain to church in a jar at some point as for shock value. We can prove that it wasn't the guy that he claimed it was. Because we looked up all those district attorney, district attorneys and Democratic Party chairs and all of that. So we can prove that he lied about who the guy was. And we can cast doubt on the fact that there was ever a human brain in a jar at his church. But it seems pretty likely that he did bring a brain of some sort or something that looked like a brain to church at some point for shock value. This story has even less credibility than the brain in the jar story, but it's used to exert control over people. There are so many interesting elements to this story. I think the one that really st stuck with me is how TBN got a hold of a story that confirmed their opinions and beliefs about the world and just ran it without any fact checking at all. This was also in 1989 and that's the thing that i have to keep remembering because 1989 was sort of the tail end of the satanic panic and by that point it had really devolved into just chain letters and snake oil salesmen and proto alex jones type people hawking loony conspiracies at whoever 
would listen for attention and then just using that to grift money off of people. The thing about this particular story, though, is when O.G. Rendlin sent in the article that he claimed confirmed the story, which was actually about a construction guy um, in a local newspaper, he gave them every opportunity to fact check and TBN chose not to. The other thing that I think is still hanging around in my head after this episode is how this recording was used to terrify fundy children for fun. It's always almost gleeful the way that adults reacted to children's terror hearing this recording. Well, think about it from an adult versus child perspective. I think there are a lot of stories, religious or non-religious, that you can tell to an adult, and an adult has the capacity to process that story. It could be a story about a real atrocity in the world, or it could be a wild story about a rock star. Like you can tell an adult, oh yeah, in the dirt, Motley Crue claimed that Ozzy once snorted a line of ants by a swimming pool. And as an adult, you can be freaked out by that idea, but you can process it as an adult and move on from that freaked out feeling. And if you are not able to move on from that freaked out feeling, you have resources available to you as an adult, like distracting yourself with a different type of content that you enjoy more, like taking medication for anxiety or seeing a therapist. If things consistently freak you out and you can't get over them, as an adult, you have resources. When you tell a child a a story, real or fake, um, tragic or just gross, they don't have the resources that an adult does to process and deal with what they've heard, much less the brain development to process and deal with what they have heard. So I wonder if hearing this recording played in church was a very different experience for people who heard it for the first time as adults versus someone like me who heard it for the first time as a little kid. I think adults in my church may have had the, they have a context for understanding the IFB beliefs about heaven and hell that I did not have. They would have brain development that I did not have. And they had the luxury of the ability to be skeptical. I'm sure many adults in my church chose not to be skeptical and chose to believe that those were the absolutely real sounds of hell and feel feelings about that. But when you're a fundy kid and you hear this, you've never really been introduced to the idea of skepticism. So of course you believe that it's real. There is no, I can believe this is real or I cannot believe this is real. There is no choice, which means that there is no consent. Fundy children have never been, like fully indoctrinated IFB children have never been introduced to the idea of skepticism. So they have no other option than to believe that this is the real sound of people screaming in eternal torment from which they will never be released. And just like we talked about last week with the Thief in the Night movie, the terror of small children hearing this is seen as cute, funny, and overall a good thing because it's preventing them from going to hell and turning them into little missionaries and evangelists for Jesus. And I think that's cruel. 
I really, I really do. I, I really hope that taking this story apart has helped some people who were traumatized by the whole recording and by this story as kids and by other Christian urban legends. This has been really fun, really educational, and really healing for me because it would have been better for me to not be told as a child that I was hearing the sounds of people suffering in eternal torment beyond my comprehension. But I think the second best thing is to be able to assure myself as an adult that I have never, in fact, heard the sounds of eternal soul suffering and eternal torment beyond my comprehension. It's a good consolation prize. <laughs> so if you are listening to this, if you have an urban legend, like a Christian urban legend that you grew up with and you grew up hearing all the time you should send it to us and we will look into it and see if it's real or see if it's fake because that seems i i, I really do like doing the usually the stories themselves are are i mean it's kind of fun it's kind of like a spooky little ghost story but also somebody's actually telling you this story for real and people are actually believing it so it's it's nice to it's nice and fun to debunk it thank you guys for tuning in we hope that you guys have a good Halloween. We hope that you guys have uh, are, are stay safe uh, and uh, have fun if you choose to go out and if you choose not to or if you're trick-or-treating or if you're carving pumpkins or if you're not doing anything. We hope that you guys have a good spooky season and a good fall. You can, If you want an extended version of this episode, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash leavingedenpodcast. You can join our Facebook group and our subreddit. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. You can follow us on social media. The podcast social media is Leaving Eden Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and threads. And Sadie, would you like to plug your socials? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hellyas Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. We've got some fun stuff coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about whether or not Mary from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is a cult leader <laughs> in a couple weeks. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun for all of you reality TV fans out there. We're going to do a few other ones that are going to be fun. Um, we're, there's a guest that we're really excited about that's going to be coming on soon to talk about a topic that we've wanted to talk about for a while. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Yeah.